This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Hi, this is Matt and Sean from Two Black Guys with good credit. From a local business to a global corporation. Partnering with Bank of America gives your operation access to exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Visit bankofamerica.com slash banking for business to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you feel like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. And not just any experts. Specialised experts. Real people who love this stuff with real, hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue checkmark that says Authenticity Guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder or step out in that streetwear, you'll realise that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. You know that's the sound of another sale on your online Shopify store. But did you know Shopify powers selling in person too? That's right. Shopify is the sound of selling everywhere. Online, in-store, on social media and beyond. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com BOF, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash BOF to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash BOF. Hi, this is Imran Ahmed, founder and CEO of the Business of Fashion. Welcome to the BOF podcast. It's Friday, August 4th. 
I first met Tim Brown in the early days after he co-founded Allbirds. We even recorded a podcast episode for our special series on entrepreneurship called Drive, and he spoke at our BOF West event in Los Angeles in 2019. I always found him to be very thoughtful and smart and really interesting to talk to. So much has happened in the world since those days before COVID. In November 2021, Allbirds went public, valuing the company at more than $4 billion. But the business has recently faced a number of challenges. And as of this week, its market capitalization has fallen to just north of $200 million. A couple of months ago, I stumbled across a post that Tim shared on LinkedIn about how he has been navigating through some of these challenges and the accompanying negative media attention. Here on the BOF podcast, we often focus on the highs of working in the fashion business. This week, I sit down with Tim to learn how he leads through some of the lows. Here's Tim Brown on the BOF podcast. Tim, welcome back to the BOF podcast. It's been a few years since we had the opportunity to sit down and see each other. There's lots of things that got in the way, not least of all COVID, but your name popped up in my LinkedIn feed recently, and it reminded me of the conversation that you and I had back in 2019, but also reminded me how much I enjoy having conversations with you because you're very thoughtful about things. And I want to get to that LinkedIn post and why it spurred me to get in touch with you again a bit later. But I want to just quickly catch up with you on everything Allbirds. You're, you're just back from Copenhagen the Global Fashion Summit, where you launched a brand new, what you're calling a zero-carbon shoe. What, what does that mean in practice, and how is that different from what Allbirds has done before? Yeah, thank you for having me. It's, it's a real uh, privilege to be here. And gosh, 2019, I was just a young fellow with big dreams back then. It was a long, it <laughs> and it like... was a very different world, let's <laughs> be honest. So we were at the Global Fashion Summit in Copenhagen to launch the world's first, what we believe to be the world's first net zero shoe, which was the culmination of many, many years of innovation and effort. Just to zoom back a little bit, Allbirds was founded in 2016, anchored in an environmental purpose and a focus on natural material innovation. And along the way have come to define a North Star around our sustainability mission focused on carbon. And that's led to all sorts of interesting things, a whole lot of mistakes, a lot of learnings. And ultimately, this was the sharp pointy end of our innovation effort to be able to achieve without offsets a net zero shoe. So the post you put on LinkedIn about that shoe has something like 17,000 reactions and hundreds and hundreds of comments. And, you know, as always with anything sustainability, especially in the fashion industry, there's always going to be a lot of people questioning and challenging some of the claims you make. How do you navigate that when you've worked on something really hard, try to create something innovative? We know that nothing really in the fashion industry comes with zero impact. Everything we do has some kind of impact. So I think what we're trying to do is reduce impact as much as possible. But how do you strike that balance between communicating ambitiously about a new product or initiative, while also keeping in mind that fundamentally, you know, this is an industry that creates so much impact. Well, zooming back for a second, I think when we founded the business in 2016, the word sustainability was barely used and 
you might get the odd sort of thumbs up, but very little inquiry. Maybe 2019 when we chatted, it was an emerging conversation, but with oftentimes a lack of a framework to really dig into it. And then you fast forward now and in the best of ways, and I think that LinkedIn post as someone who really doesn't use social media, I think is a great example of just a general sense of engagement, curiosity, interest. So we're at a very interesting stage of what is, I think, a complete transformation of every aspect of the way that we live towards a more sustainable economy and approach to living. And I think the fashion industry is, is only one part of it, a small but important part, and oftentimes gets a really bad rep, I think, tends to be the source of a lot of criticism. And I'm yet to meet uh, someone in the fashion industry, particularly within the creative community, who doesn't care deeply about this topic, who doesn't totally understand that the objects they're putting out in the world have an impact and isn't working and doing everything that they can to try and reduce that. But I think there's a knowledge gap at the moment as to exactly what that looks like and how it's done. And uh, it's certainly my takeaway from coming out of uh, the Copenhagen and the Global Fashion Summit. So, you know, the real reason I wanted to sit down with you, and by the way, for those of you listening who don't know the amazing story of how Tim and his co-founder, Joey, built Allbirds, there is another podcast that I recorded, and we'll drop a link to that in the episode notes. But I really wanted to take a different tack with today's conversation, Tim, and start with that, the other LinkedIn post, the first one that really inspired me to get in touch with you because, you know, Allbirds has been the subject of a lot of negative media recently. You posted this thing on LinkedIn and you wrote, I'm conscious of only posting good news on here. So I wanted to mix things up and share something that is less good to read. My intention here is not to attack the piece. And you're referring to a piece that was published by Business Insider. As much as it is to remind myself and others that in the words of Rafa Nadal, you need to be prepared to feel all the emotions in pursuit of your goals. In short, not only is it necessary, it is also just better that way. It's a reminder, too, that you are never as good or as bad as they say you are. This helped me a lot during my football career, and that all of my best work has come when I've been written off. Mostly, this is a challenge to keep in mind that rising and falling is just part of the journey. And I just found that such an honest and unusual thing to read on social media. And I wanted to start with kind of examining what it's like to be an entrepreneur that's in the spotlight, that builds a company, that goes public, that's valued in the billions of dollars, and then runs into challenges. Like, how have you been navigating that personally? Thank you for the kind words. And I, I appreciate that you picked up on on that. It's had a whole bunch of unexpected, happy connections have come from putting that out in the world. I, I think I wanted to speak more than anything else to our team. We went public uh, a year and a half ago. It's been quite difficult. It's not gone as we hoped. And I wanted to remind those guys more than anything that, hey, this is a journey. You know, we're seven years into what I believe can be a hundred year brand. I really do. And, and you've got to take the good with the bad. And if you're prepared to speak to the media as we have done, because we've got something to say and a perspective on the world that I think is important, and you accept the good coverage that comes, then you need to be on the other side of it. Okay. If, as that article points out, things aren't going as well as they could be for the brand. And, you know, I think that perspective is, is helpful. And 
to answer your question directly, I'm quite calm here. You know, look, this was founded in my apartment, this business. It started as a Kickstarter campaign that I shot on a family friend's sheep farm in New Zealand with my brother and $700. I moved to London to grad school, retired from professional sport and had a small apartment full of shoes. You know, there's been moments of real challenge where uh, in a very rarefied air, we've come a long way, we have an enormous opportunity. This is just part of the journey. This isn't something to lose any sleep over. So part of what gives you, I think, this resilience and perspective is your experience in professional sport. You referenced Nadal in your LinkedIn post, and you've spoken to me about your father and, you know, growing up as an athlete. I mean, being an athlete is kind of not so different from being an entrepreneur in some ways, right? Yeah, the sport was an incredible training ground. You know, sometimes you're playing really well and yet you're not winning. And so there's sometimes this disconnect between the day-to-day work that you're putting in and the results that you hope to see. Sport teaches you to trust the process and to hold a long-term view, knowing that in the fullness of time, that hard work usually is rewarded. The other part of sport was this very short-term and quite critical, in fact, I would go as far to say hypercritical media environment where if you played poorly, you were told that, whether it be in social media or in the supermarket when you're doing your grocery shopping or uh, in the newspaper. And I met my father one day after training in the afternoon for a coffee. I was playing in the A-League in Australia for a local team. I grew up in that city and there was a column that had come out that was especially critical of me and my performances. And he gave it to me and he showed me as someone who'd kind of at that stage sort of stepped away from even reading the newspaper. How old were you? 27. I played all the way through until I was 32 and I retired. And he said, look, you have to be able to learn to feel this. And he said, as a non-sporting person who was really not involved in my sporting career at all, it's just part of it. And there's probably some truth to it. And you've got to be okay with feeling that in the same way that you're going to feel the elation of getting it right. And he was, I think, just trying to teach me that it's completely okay, (laughs) that this is just part of it. And as he pointed out, isn't it quite wonderful that they're writing about you in the newspaper? And it it was just a sense of, hey, whatever happens, you know, we're with you. And it took me a long time to learn this. Whether we were winning or losing didn't make me a good or a bad person. And I think it was an incredible training ground for an even more pressurized environment as an entrepreneur, particularly in the context of being a public company. So it was just uh, another opportunity, I think, where if I've had an unfair competitive advantage, it has been my family with me on this journey, unconditionally showing support. Uh, I think it's helped immeasurably. So as you said, after going public about a year and a half or so ago, I was looking at some of the data around the IPO. And, you know, at the beginning, it was gangbusters, right? It was priced at $15 above the original target range. The day of the IPO and in the days following, the price surged by 90%, ending the day almost double the initial public offering price. And the company was valued at $4 billion. So as you think about what went wrong or what you would have done differently, how do you make sense of what's happened since then? Because you know the company hasn't been profitable. There was a move into apparel that didn't quite work out. And these are all things 
that any publicly traded company has to do is has to find ways to grow. Like, do you ever rethink some of the things that you had to do because you were a public company? And are there things that you would have done differently? Maybe even not go public? Well, no, not not go public. Let's also be clear, it's a complicated world. And I don't think anyone who's leading any sort of business, whether it be with one person or a thousand, there has been a whole list of challenges. And I equally don't think you could talk to any one of those leaders and say, hey, if you could have the time again, would you do things a little bit differently? But that being said, we need to execute now and prove that we can be a great public company. It's been an incredible story, really, from a Kickstarter campaign to where we are now. And all the reasons that people supported us at the IPO are still true today in terms of the transformation of the fashion industry, a shift away from plastic towards natural materials, a huge opportunity in the footwear space. And we need to execute really well and be incredibly focused on our customer and on delivering quality and all the things that make a great brand great over a long period of time. So that opportunity is there. And I I believe, like I sort of said earlier, in the fullness of time, I think we can take advantage of that. Let's talk about the decision on on the apparel side, because that's something that that was probably a big strategic decision to take the kind of all birds philosophy that you've just very nicely synthesized there and take it into a completely different category. What was the thinking process for doing that? And what have you learned from having made that decision and moved into that space? What we found really early on, and you're led by the customer, we started making socks quite early on for a business and a brand that was built really around three insights. It was about bringing a a minimalist and incredibly clear design philosophy to the world of shoes that's often dominated by logos and We had uh, an almost industrial design philosophy that allowed us to create quite a distinct and continues to allow us to create distinct products. There was a deep focus on the idea of comfort, all powered by natural materials and sustainability. So those three things at the intersection of of those three sort of ideas were the products that we made. And socks was something that quite early on we realized was an opportunity. People were wearing our shoes, almost half of them with socks. And from there, underwear became a, an almost a, a natural extension of that and, and continues to be very, very successful, this idea of natural materials against the skin. And then we went on to T-shirts and they've been really good. And then a couple of other things that in hindsight you probably got a little ahead of your customer and moved maybe a little bit too fast. So coming back to focus and get really, really clear on the things that we do better than anyone is the process that we're in. And so now in apparel, have you dialed it back? I mean, where have you decided very to much focus? So. Yeah. There's an opportunity for those iconic classic items to make those out of natural materials, merino, eucalyptus fiber, and do it in a way that is differentiated and very, very special. And we can master that and really create extraordinary value over time. And so focusing on, on those essential items and not losing any sort of innovation focus on footwear broadly has been the steps that we've taken in the last year, just to make sure that that relentless focus on what we call supernatural comfort is the headline of everything that we're doing. We'll be right back with more on the BOF podcast. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you feel like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. And not just any experts. Specialised experts. Real people who love this stuff. With real, hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder or step out in that streetwear, you'll realise that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? For me, I got a chef-grade range recently, and now I'm cooking new things every single night. Seriously, no cuisine is off limits. The point is, when we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. I can picture myself with a car full of groceries, cruising down the highway, soaking up the sun with the available dynamic sky panorama glass roof. Ah, pure bliss. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX. Luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. The other part of your business that was kind of sacrosanct at one stage was this DTC focus. And we did an interview with you last year around the DTC reckoning. I think we did that for our State of Fashion report that we publish every year. And I was reading it over again this morning. Allbirds at one point was this kind of pure... DTC play, right? At least it felt like in the way it was positioned in the market alongside other companies like Warby Parker and whatnot, that like connecting with the customer directly 
It was, was a, that part it was, of your key philosophy? It was a powerful starting point, yeah. but the long-term vision always held a broader approach to wholesale, and that's a journey that we've begun in the last few years. I think out of the gate, it was a powerful opportunity for us to tell the story. At that particular time, there really hadn't been a direct business built in footwear. It was incredible competitive advantage in the early years of the business to listen and learn and to move really fast from an innovation point of view. We added our first retail store under our first office. We now have a little more than 50 stores around the world. But the wholesale strategy was there from the beginning and the original investor presentations and strategy that we put together. So so the first move into wholesale was when? We've had a relationship with Nordstrom for four or five years. Okay. We did a capsule collection quite early on with Olivia Kim, who's the creative director there, mm-hmm. formerly of opening um, ceremony, and had great success and incredible learnings from that partnership. So sometimes, uh, particularly in the venture world, labels become a, a kind of a convenient way of lumping a whole bunch of different things together. And we've never thought about ourselves as a D2C brand or business. We're a material innovation company. And D2C describes a particular channel. This business was agnostic of any channel. It was about innovating around a purpose around the environment, around bringing natural materials in a, you know, to a category that's almost entirely dominated by plastic and synthetic ones. That's the story. That's where we started. And the channel was the starting point, but not the business. So for other entrepreneurs out there that are navigating the balance between direct-to-consumer channels like retail and e-commerce and wholesale channels, like, for example, with a big department store like Nordstrom, how do you navigate that from a business standpoint? And how do you think about the, the what's the right balance? What are the roles that those different channels play in connecting with customers or acquiring new customers? And how do you think about the margins? Because clearly, when you're going direct to consumer, you can capture a lot more of the margin, but there's a cost, additional cost with reaching that customer. Well, look, clearly the advertising landscape is changing, COVID behavior, shopping, lots of different things going on there. So what I might say today might not necessarily be true tomorrow. Hence, The way I might answer that question would be to make sure that your relentless focus is on your customer and where they are and how you might meet them and how you best make the products that you're creating essential in their lives. And one of the overlooked aspects of what you described as a direct-to-consumer business was you got this incredible feedback loop. There was no middle person. You were able to get instantaneous feedback. And then when we opened retail incredible thing about our first retail stores literally under our office. So we would put a colorway out or a product or a pair of socks and you go downstairs and you just watch and you knew straight away. And to this day, the smartest people we have on our customer are the people operating in our stores. They know, hey, this new box, the little edge on the cardboard kind of cuts my hand if I open it too quickly. And so there's just a level of knowledge there that I think was a huge part of us being able to tailor and get our products right and improve them very, very quickly. So I think I'd stay there. That's not a new insight in business, stay close to your customer. Mm -hmm. But I would be thinking more broadly than just margin. I'd be thinking we're launching this week in Selfridges, which has been 
another extraordinary opportunity in the same way that we learned customer service from Nordstrom and the way that they, as one of the premier and, and largest footwear retailers in the world, how they serve the customer. Selfridges will be a whole nother set of learnings on storytelling and the presentation of the product. So I think you've got to look more broadly. And then I think like anything else, where do you want to go? What is the vision for what you want your brand to be? Is it about scale or is it exclusivity? What markets? And that's when you'll get the most out of the partners and the most out of the opportunities that lie ahead of you. Speaking of the customer feedback loop that you have through your more direct channels, I'm curious to understand your perspective on the post-COVID wardrobe. We saw this moment during COVID when everyone was in elasticated waistband sweatpants or sweatshirts and the idea of comfort became really, really front of mind for everybody as we were kind of slogging our way through the lockdowns. And then post-COVID, everyone surged back out into the real world. Suiting has come back and ties and going out dresses and all of that. How do you see things playing out now, particularly in your space around shoes? You know, we've also seen it the sneaker market maybe isn't as on fire. It's always going to be a big market. You know, there's no denying that, but maybe it's not growing as quickly. I mean, when you're hearing from your customers how they're thinking about their wardrobes, maybe not in the immediate post-COVID environment, but in the steady state that happens now, hopefully over the next few years without any other further global crises or health emergencies, you know, what are you learning about the way people are thinking about their wardrobes now? Well, I think I'd answer it first through the lens of remote work and hybrid work, which I think is a confusing question. I think if there's any business leader that says they've got all the answers to that, they're probably lying, particularly in San Francisco, possibly the epicenter of remote work Mm -hmm. uh, where There's a number of brands and businesses very, very early on, hey, go anywhere. There's a billion-dollar Salesforce building downtown San Francisco that's completely empty. And I think that was wonderful and has brought a whole bunch of benefits. And then now I think there's a little bit of a reckoning that we're missing something in terms of community. And so what are the implications for that? I'm not exactly sure, but I think... The idea that we're going to stick in our bedrooms and slob around in sweatpants has lost some of its appeal. And so I I think we're clearly seeing many of the same things that you described of a desire to be out and about and connected and with people. And it's brought back a certain formality and a certain sense of this athleisure moment that felt like it might go on forever has got some chinks in its armour. And I think that's a good thing. But what is not going to change is that there is this, I believe, this sort of casualization and this intersection between work and play and life that isn't going to go away. It isn't going to change. My dad, speaking of him, used to go to work, change in his suit, go to work from nine to six, and when he got home, change out of it, and that's gone. But I think it's a pulling back to some form of style that I think is really interesting and has a lot of implications. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Because if you think about the blending of everything, the blending of work, travel, and leisure, that terrible word, pleasure, the blending of 
working from home as many of us do now, including me, and then running out for a couple of meetings and then coming back home. Like just fundamentally the clothes we wear are about the way we live mm -hmm. and the way we live and the way we work is really changing, you know? And I feel like we haven't reached that steady state. I think that the reckoning that you're talking about with the whole like extreme stance on work from home and remote working I think we're still in the midst of that and there's still this negotiation happening between employers and their employees on what the right balance is. But I think the thing that isn't going away is this blending. And so like, I remember when, when I first started in fashion, you know, you talk to, you know, the American department store buyers and they talk about dresses that women could wear from work into the evening. And it's almost like that blending is now like you have to be able to find wardrobes and clothes that can blend into so many different moments in the day, which aren't exclusively for work, like your father had when he was dressed up in a suit or exclusively for personal stuff. It's a bit of everything. And so like the way we dress is like a lot more fluid, basically. But it is about identity. And I, like, again, I, I ride my bike into work. It's 15 minutes. So I'm fortunate in that regard. And as, you know, a parent of a couple of young kids, gosh, that little bit of separation and that shift in mindset from home and I'm a dad to now I'm going to work and I'm, I'm going to do that is really helpful. Yeah. And along with it, I'll shift the way that I dress and it's not into a suit, but there's a little edge that, okay, I'm going to be out in the world. And I, I really enjoy that. It's a definition of a different side of me as someone who wants to keep those two things distinct because I, I, I'm better for it and I'm healthier for it. Well, you should all know that Tim looks very sharp in his <laughs> polo knitwear top and like some really nice elasticated waistband, but very comfortable trousers. And I guess those must be all bird sneakers. Just confirming for anyone listening, I am, I am wearing my shoes. Yeah, it's a good thing. These are suit pants with an elasticated waist as a great example, I think. Maybe we might have yo-yoed a little bit too far and now we're, we're coming back to find this sort of new era of versatility and the ability, you know, as I'm now on, on the road here for a week in London and, you know, our shoes, the ability to wear them in extraordinary comfort walking around and, and running them if I need to around Hyde Park this week and be able to do that in the same product is, it's an evolution and, and I think it's a great thing and I don't think it's going to change and I think we're just, we're finding the edges of that. Yeah. And maybe we lost something in the last couple of years in terms of that, that yeah. sense of sort of how we wanted to show up. So what does that mean for the way you think about Allbirds and your own merchandising mix? I think there continues to be an extraordinary, and it's been there from the beginning, from the original Kickstarter video, that the space between the gym and the pub, those intersections, call it two big circles around lifestyle and performance, in between you pick your name, we choose to use the word active, that there's an enormous opportunity there. And, and that's supported by natural materials that have incredible super qualities. Take merino that breathes, wicks moisture, regulates temperature. It is so many of the answers as we start to look to the future of fashion and more broadly can be found by unwinding our systems and our ecosystems and going back to the beginning. And in nature, we have these materials that 
biodegrade, disappear, but also provide a level of performance that's unmatched in the world of synthetics and plastics derived from barrels of oil. So that intersection has always been the, the North Star for us, and, and, and it, it's where the purpose comes together with the consumer experience. And I think that's how we're going to progress the conversation around sustainability, because people don't want to buy sustainable products, they want to buy great products. So I wanted to finish with some advice. You have this incredible Zen-like energy, Tim, which is, you know, something you don't often see in our frantic, frenetic fashion industry. Do you have like a daily practice or certain things that you do to keep yourself focused? You know, we talked about your career as an athlete before, but you know, how is it that you stay focused and clear and aligned with your really, really clearly defined purpose in the company that you have been building. Thank you. There's a lot of kind words in there that I don't take for granted. You've got to remember where you come from and never lose sight of that. And I think I've tried really, really hard to remember and be grateful for the opportunities that have come my way. It's a funny thing with success, you have a little bit of it and then things get harder and that's good, but you also have to take moments of time just to step back from the coalface and and show appreciation. And I'm, I'm fortunate again, we have family and friends that never let me think I was good or, you know, allowed me to, to feel that I was bad. So I, I feel the community of people that you surround yourself with is incredibly important. The role of exercise in my life is incredibly important. Every other day, I find that that's the thing that clears my hard drive and allows me whatever I was worried about to forget and, and, and to move forward. And I think the most important thing that I've learned as an entrepreneur is not to confuse hard work with the right work. I think I've got, this is an emerging theory, but I think we tend to operate at 100% all the time and think that's the right thing. And I'm not saying hard work's not important, of course it is. But I think at 80%, particularly in the world of sports, you step back a little bit. That's when you find your rhythm, your flow. You have, I think, the ability to maintain your focus on something for a longer period of time by just pulling back a little bit. And that space allows you, I think, the perspective to see something for what it is, which is a journey with steps forward and steps back along the way. So, yeah, there's no science, but I think you've, you've, you've got to keep finding space to have perspective on whatever it is you're working on. That's the most important thing. Well, thank you for sharing that advice. And thank you for sitting down with me and being so candid with your thoughts as always. And I hope that everyone listening will take away something from this conversation because there was a lot in there. And so I hope you enjoyed it. And thank you again, Tim. I really appreciate um, the chance to chat with you. Thank you for having me. The BOF podcast is edited and produced by Emma Clark and Eric Bria in the BOF studio team. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? For me, I got a chef-grade range recently, and now I'm cooking new things every single night. Seriously, no cuisine is off-limits. The point is, when we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. I can picture myself with a car full of groceries, cruising down the highway, soaking up the sun with the available dynamic sky panorama glass roof. Ah, pure bliss. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX. 
Luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay authenticity guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Hi, this is Matt and Sean from Two Black Guys with good credit. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation, Partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024. 